Hansen. I hear that music. I recognize that music. That must mean that we're back for season four. I think four? Is it four? Wow. It's either three or four. Who knows? All I know is that whenever I say the next song we're going to do is And I Love Her, that ends up, we end up taking a break. (laughs) I think it happened the first season. Like, ooh, what's the next one? I was like, ooh, we should do And I Love Her. And then we took a break. So is this three or four, Kate? It's a season four. So welcome to season four, Jay Hansen, of Looking Through the Glass Onion. I can't believe we've made it this far. Who knew, right? Who knew? But we do have big news. We have a sponsor for our show now, which I'm gonna, I have sponsor spots. So when we get to them, I can't wait to thank our sponsor. Totally. As I take a, a sip of, uh, uh, there we go. There's a, there's a sip from <clears throat> the cup of one of our sponsors right now. So welcome back, Jay. We're talking about a song uh, that people have asked us to do a lot. And I don't know why I've stayed away from it. This song scares me. This is an intimidating song to perform, to listen to. It's intimidating. Yeah. Uh, And when you kind of break it down, it becomes an even bigger... I think this is probably one of the most important Beatles songs because they go from the mop tops, and this song takes them from everything they did before. It's the bridge over to what they would then become and finish their career as. It's just really a great song. So let's talk about the summer of 66. A lot of great songs on the radio around that time. You know, we talked, I think when we talked about Good Day Sunshine, it was happened to be a really nice year that year. And a lot of songs are written about sunshine, but Good Vibrations comes out that summer. So you hear all these like amazing pop songs starting to come out where they're they're doing what the Beatles are doing, but people are starting to kick it up a notch. Most importantly, Brian Wilson has really kind of come on to his own and does pet sounds in kind of a response to rubber soul and revolver and is, you know, pushes Paul to his creative limits. John uh, is also being pushed to his creative limits by what drug is he on at this time? Ah, LSD has entered the, has entered the Beatle picture. So, but building up to the summer of 66, this is the last time the Beatles tour. They, they start to hate touring. They tell Brian Epstein, we're done doing this crap. You're parading us around. Uh, they release Revolver. Two days later, they go out on tour. They are allowed to play in Japan where they kind of bomb because they're so used to people screaming through their sets, they'd kind of become cruddy performers. And <laughs> in Japan, they're playing like Nowhere Man and it sucks like because nobody is applauding. Right. And they're not used to it. So they like woodshed. And it's like, what what kind of band are we? Are we? We're not a live act anymore. We're kind of a novelty. Um, and so they tell Brian Epstein, we're done doing that. And this is all while the, the John has said that the Beatles are bigger than Jesus, which causes an uproar in America. Shocking. Uh, even though he wasn't lying, he was, he was prophesizing what has absolutely become. Pop culture has definitely taken over religion as the main thing in the world. But we crucified John for that. So this is all like playing into this. The Beatles are like, we need a break. So they do take a break. John goes off to Spain to film a movie with Dick Lester. Dick Lester is the guy who directed Hard Day's Night. A movie called How I Won the War, where he plays a, a private grip weed. I believe. I'm riffing. You see this, I, right? I, this is yeah. off the top of my head. Have you ever seen that movie? I've seen parts of it. Yeah. I, I don't love Michael Crawford. Um, he kind of annoys me. He's the guy who was Cornelius in Hello, Dolly, and that's all I see him as in that movie. He's... Gotcha. Uh, then he went on to become, who did he become? He's like the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera. He became very famous Broadway star, Michael really? Crawford. All right. He's in that movie with John. Um, 
But John is away from the Beatles and he's dealing with actors, which he doesn't necessarily like. So he starts, you know, thinking of this song that started started off as um, what, what's the title here? It's it's not too bad. Is was initially what it was called, and it was kind of this little. It's in C originally. And that kind of makes the song make sense. If you're a musician, the song doesn't really musically make sense to me. It's in a really weird key, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about later. But he writes this little ditty and see, it's not too bad. Has nothing to do with Strawberry Fields. Nothing about that. The song is just kind of about thinking. You know, my thoughts are people don't really get my thoughts. And I guess that's not too bad. It's kind of the first demo. Second demo, he starts to tinker with it a little bit. Third demo is really where you start to hear the strawberry field thing where he attaches to a childhood memory as he's reminiscing about Liverpool, which is kind of the direction he and Paul think this next record is going to go in. And we get this iconic visual called where he says strawberry fields forever. And when you know about what this place is, it just makes this song incredible. And it's a song we're talking about, which I just said, strawberry fields forever. An amazing song, Jay. Tell me your initial thoughts re-listening to this one. Uh, what'd you feel, man? <laughs> well, you know, I uh, so I, I opened up iTunes today and I have like 56 different versions of this song. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, as as a as a musician, as a as a producer, as a songwriter, it, it, it's like a it, it's so educational to see to be able to like follow the process of w- how he started, you know, writing the song. Yeah, bored on set in Spain yeah. filming that movie, you know, and 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 you know, burnt out from from tour- touring. I mean, the Beatles effectively were, you know, taking a break. George had quit for the first time after, yeah. you know, told Brian he was done. You know, so uh yeah, so so you know, hearing it from there to you know what they did in the studio, and then the process of of taking two completed takes at different tempos and in different keys and melding them together. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is a college course right here. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, people talk about a day in the life being the greatest probably work of the Beatles, but I this this one has got to be up there because of the things that they ended up doing that maybe messed the song up. And, and, and when you listen to what he initially was going for, I don't think John ever really reached the like delicate song that he was trying to write, you know, because his ideas kept changing, probably because of the drugs, probably couldn't hear exactly what he was trying to get. But I, sure. I don't think he, this, he was ever pleased with the end result, uh, which is weird because it is so amazing how they ended up with what we hear. Um, so that, those were our opening thoughts, Jay, brought to you by our sponsor. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Glass Onion First Layer, which is the opening thoughts, are brought, by, brought to you by our sponsor, which is Hill of Beans Coffee Roasters Woo! and Roast, based right here in Omaha. Oh, just down and the street. Come up, just down and. Oh, man, they have come up with a couple of signature flavors just for us. And one we're honoring, of course, they call Strawberry Fields. Uh, just listen to this. I'll read what the, have you tried that one yet? Oh, yeah, it's in my cup oh, right now. It's very berry and very uh, chocolatey. 
Uh, it says, let us take you down the sweet berry-infused path of this juicy-flavored coffee. Lots of strawberries dipped in white chocolate with a smattering of blueberries and whipped cream on top. That seems appropriate, yeah. actually. That is exactly what it tastes like. We start with fair trade certified organic green beans from the high altitude of the Chiapas region of Mexico. Roast them to their sweet spot and flavor them right after roasting. Are you thinking nothing is real? Strawberry Fields is, <laughs> and it is scrumptious forever. That's awesome. <laughs> that is available at the shop a hill of a uh, shop dot a hill of beans dot com and at my website billymcguigan dot com or at any of our shows, it will be available. So that's our first ever sponsor read on this show. That's exciting. It is exciting. That's good stuff. Thank you, Hill of Beans. I, thank you, Roast. Thank that's you. so cool. Yeah, and it is delicious. We'll talk about our other flavor when we get to the deep dive. All right. I call this first, this is a new a new, uh, a new segment on our show. Oh, and okay. It's in honor of the McCartney 321, where my favorite thing he did was, This is how I would have brought this in. Yeah, I would have brought it in like that. With his low voice. Yeah, that was, I had the guitar and I played it like this for John. So I want to talk, and that's, we're going to start with how, how he brought it in. And I have, I have this guitar here. It won't, it won't be very good. But this song, again, has never really made sense to me because, like, the bad chord books that I had when I was a kid, I think they had it written in E. Let me take you down, cause I'm good. Which is weird, but that's mm-hmm. why I never really know it. But he kind of brought it in in C, and he was like, Let me take you down, cause I'm going to. And we hear this great little demo of him doing it, you know. So he just brought it in on acoustic and played it for those guys. And evidently, that is the best version of this song. They didn't record it, of course. Right. But the first time John played it for Paul and George Martin, just on his acoustic guitar, evidently is the best version that was ever played of this song. Yeah. And they never really captured it. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, so that's how this song starts. And they they, co- they go into the recording studio on November 24th. Now, what's weird about this song than any other Beatles song we had talked about prior to this recording, they spent 55 hours in the studio. I saw that today. Recording this song. And you have to keep in mind, Please Please Me, the album was recorded in eight hours, the entire album was recorded in eight hours, and they spent 55 hours on this song. So this is really the first time, and I would be curious, that's probably how much time they spent to record most of those early albums total. Maybe up to Rubber Soul, and that might be the full amount of time they spent in a studio recording. Um, Just because they were known to go in, nail it, get it in three takes. Sometimes they were writing songs in the studio, nailing them, get them in the first take. 55 hours they yeah. spend on this song. Um, and I guess the first version of this song, which we get to hear on the anthology, which is kind of cool, you've got this awesome like slide guitar part that George is playing, this little... You know what I'm talking about? And it's so nice. I kind of miss that. But it's kind of a dreamy, it almost sounds like Revolver, almost like In My Lifey. And you get this first version of it. Um, it's nice. Yeah, you get to hear it on the anthology, and that's so you hear the demo I'm talking about, how he brought it in. You can hear that on the anthology. Then, kind of the next version you hear is this them messing around with it. The Mellotron is there, but it's not fully there. It's got this outro that is kind of like John's original demo. But then, then they wait. They go and they listen to it, and they, eh, it's fine. Yeah, John doesn't love it. He doesn't love it. And then, so in December, they come back and they make this, like, 
I don't know. It's kind of like got to get into my life version of it with these. So you have six instrument instruments added to it, plus drums and timpani and all this. So you, they, they play like the like the trumpets and the strings play the intro, and then they're just ra- roaring through it like what you hear. And it's like whoa, this is a totally different version of the song. John's singing it different. It's it's not dreamy anymore. Yeah. So you have you have these two versions. They're in different keys because they had to speed it up, so it changed the time of the song, and they don't sound alike. It's kind of like in that McCartney three two one when Rick Rubin is breaking things down. He's like, "Yeah, man, this part sounds like folky, and this part sounds like rock and roll." And that's what we have happening here. We have this like really folky, Strawberry Fields forever, and then you have this like. R&B, bluesy, funky, <laughs> I don't know what it is going on. And John thinks on it again. So imagine drugged out John, like, yeah, man, I'll do it. Let's try this again. Thank you. So he goes to George Martin. He's like, all right, here's the idea today, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like Bill and Ted. Spicoli Lennon. Spicoli rolls in, right? And George Martin is Mr. Hand. He's like, what is it now? <laughs> it's like, all right, dude, like... What if when we took the one version, okay, and we like took the other version and we like put them together? George Martin is like, "Are you out of your mind?" He has to think. Well, and I think he tries to explain it. Can't you just see this in in the Beatle movie? Well, no, John. uh, They're in different keys. They're in different tempos. It would it would never work. So they speed one up. And they slow one down, and they end up being roughly in the same tempo. Yeah. Roughly in the same key. And they're like, yeah, you can hear the edit. Sure, we don't care. And they're like, what do you think of that? And he's like, oh, right on, (laughs) man. (laughs) Right? I mean, you got to imagine the drugged out Beatles. These have got, this has got to be the most fun because they're stoned and they're totally tripping all. Like John tripped evidently all day long. He was constantly tripping. So he's like, yeah, I'm a, you know, take he's like Keith Richards mumbling and George Martin's like, yeah, sure. And this masterpiece comes out of it and I still don't get it. I still don't understand how they did it. And like, One version has Ringo playing like Dear Prudence drums, right? Like they're real laid back and it's real nice. You know, let me take you. Like it's a day in the lifey. And at the end, Jay. It's like. I'm going to finally say it on this show for the last time. If you're a drummer and you think, oh man, Ringo sucks. You suck, okay? There's no <laughs> good luck playing any part of that freaking song with no click. First of all, Ringo had no click, and they combined his takes close enough, and they're off by like what, Jay? It's like they're not off that much. Oh right? no, the t- no, they're you can't pretty- even really right. And it's like, yeah, man, Ringo. It's like. Sh- just listen to Strawberry Fields forever and the drumming at the end, and tell me. Tell me that Ringo's an average drummer anyway. <laughs> Some Rush fan right now is so mad at me. <laughs> Rush right, fans so, aren't listening to this, dude. No. So what I... <laughs> totally. They, the Beatles are beneath them. That's cool. I, what I want you to talk about a little bit, how, first of all, how did they accomplish this feat of 
of taking two songs that were completely different, smashing them together, and luckily they come out as Strawberry Fields Forever. Oh, I, I mean, I think uh, I think the word, <laughs> the key word in that is a little bit of luck, definitely, yeah. because, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I hadn't lit... I don't know. It had been a long time since I've listened to version two, which is faster. And I listen. Yeah. I just listened to that right before we we that like joined cooking up version. With the, oh my! With and I, I it, it's smoking. it's a little jarring because I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fast. Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty interesting how how they did that. I I in my in my research this morning, I I learned some things that I didn't didn't realize before. So. Uh, for anybody that's curious, the the edit, there's two edits, actually, which I, I if I'd read before, I'd forgotten. But the edit happens at 59 seconds when John's singing Going, um, <laughs> which is kind of cool. And if you listen, yeah. you hear it. Yeah. Um, that's the, there's no guitar at that point until the end with the, you know, c- cool fuzzy part, which I think is Paul. I think Paul yeah, plays that part. I it sounds so like a too. Paul thing. They talk about that George played part, part the end of the first part, and then Paul overdubbed the other part later. I read that in there somewhere in the deep dive. Yeah, which is interesting because I think I mean Lennon's, you know, he's working on a, a finger picked thing yeah. in all the demos, and it kind of sounds like it could be Lennon. I I mean, yeah, it, whether I, whether weird, George, I is just playing, read, yeah, I just read that. He couldn't get it, so George was like, "I'll take it." Oh, really? Okay. okay. Yeah, because there is there sense. is a great demo where he, he's like, John, "John is like, I cannot do it. I cannot do it." He's trying to. Oh, really? He's okay. trying to finger pick it, and then you hear George take it over, and it's like, "Oh, yeah." Ah, gotcha. Okay. George. Cool. Cool. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So they s- they speed the first one up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that was the slower, groovier, like dear prudency sounding yeah. version of the song. Yeah, and um and then they slow the other one down, make the edit. So they they took um I just read this. So they they took later on in in the the first section which takes 7, is what they're calling it, but we'll call it yeah. the first first version. They take the uh, Let Me Take You Down is from later on in that take. They splice that, put it in there, and then that's where the edit comes into the the second version. So, yeah. Man. And the end of of it is kind of a precursor to a lot of other Beatles stuff that comes. You know, it's got this killer outro, the which was the Mellotron flute setting. Like reversed, right? So the Mellotron would have these little, like you've seen Paul do it. If you've seen the anthology or anything where McCartney's talking about this period of time, he always breaks out the Mellotron. It's like boom, dicka boom. It would play like, like an organ. You know, it's like a boom, dicka boom, dicka boom. And so that was the is what that would play, but reversed. Which I just found that out, and it's like, oh, that's bad. That part is so cool. And and I also heard it that the slide guitar part. This is a, who knows if this is true, but the slide guitar part was also the guitar Mellotron. That's I'd read that too. Yeah, slid up, which makes that it's it's the one thing that I do love from Take Seven or the first part, the first version of the song that didn't make it. I do love that part. All right, so the Mellotron itself. I think we talked about a Mellotron. Maybe we haven't talked about the Mellotron yet. So 
This is something that's like the first synthesizer, kind of a sampler. First sampler would, for sure, yeah. Yeah, because it would you would sample you would sample the flutes, and they would be in there. So you're just playing the note sampled by. It's not really changing the pitch, correct? Or, or is it? Doing so, that? so uh, my understanding, and and I've 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 seen one. There's one here in Omaha at one of, at a local studio, which is kind of cool. But but yeah, for each key, there's actually a piece of tape that's an actual recorded instrument. So there's flutes, there's cellos, there's male singers, there's female singers. It's it's not a very natural sound, but it's super right. cool. And it, I mean, you immediately affiliate it with the Beatles. I think of the Moody Blues when I think about a Mellotron because right. they were big, big users yeah. of it. The guy in the band is one of the inventors of the Mellotron, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? In the Moody, wow. or, or like a an early engineer on the Mellotron. So. Wow. He's nice. the one that kind of turned the Beatles onto it. And of course, in true Beatle fashion, they make it their instrument. The yeah. Mellotron is probably something that we wouldn't talk about. It's like, oh, it was just an early. But because the Beatles used it, if you can get your hands on one, you have found something. Right? Yeah. Like you've that, only seen that's one a great in point. your life. Yeah. You know, it's like the Hoffner or the Rickenbacker. The Mellotron is the, the Beatle yeah. key. Very good point. Because there's an instrument called the Chamberlain, which is the exact same concept that nobody talks about as much. Because the Beatles didn't use it. The Beatles. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good call. Uh, the classic Beatles move steal it and make it cool. Uh, we have a, a bunch of other instruments happening on this song that we can talk about. Uh, we have a timpani and bongos, which are added onto that like dense drum track, which yeah. makes the. <laughs> I think that's a lot of the Beatles playing on that, which makes it kind of cool. I think uh, um, Mal is playing and uh, Neil Mal Aspinall are also yeah. playing. Yeah. They have Neil Aspinall credited in our, our reference book, Revolution of the Head, as playing the, the hero. The oh, part. nice. Yeah. So, okay, so get this. When they yeah. recorded that section, they didn't record it on the four-track tape because they knew they wanted to reverse it. So they put it on, on quarter-inch tape because uh, Ken Townsend, who we've spoken highly of in the past, oh, yeah. uh, he had developed technology where they could flip the, the uh, they could flip it backwards without having to flip the tape, so they could audition oh, it like right yeah. away and figure out if they liked it or not. And so they actually put that onto the four track and recorded to that, but that's how they started with that. I I just read that's that today, so which is ah. which is pretty cool. So much cool stuff happening on this particular recording. Yeah, just so much. Like a lot of the stuff that they were doing in on Revolver comes comes in, but all the things they would do on Pepper, they're starting right here in this recording. Totally. Ah, uh, so cool. Uh, Terry Doran is on Maracas. You can't, leave a maraca, you can't leave a maraca player out. And we have, uh, looks like five trumpets, four trumpets, and uh, three cellos, which, what a cool combo. Yeah. I read an alto you know, trumpet somewhere. Oh. I don't even, I'd never even heard of an alto trumpet before. I've, we, whatever you hear on there, it's smoking in yeah, this song. Yeah, it, oh, it's super it's cool. cooking. Yeah, those cellos cooking, are amazing. Uh, we also have the Sfarmandal. I'm not sure I, if I'm saying that correctly. It's kind of an Indian zither, if you will. And that's where you get that ping, 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 all that stuff. Really, really cool. Super cool. Uh, stuff happening on there. All right. 
this song is um, a double A side release. Yeah. Right? So the Beatles under pressure from their record company, which even the Beatles got pressure from their record company back then. Um, which in the reading, I was the 55 hours of studio time was brought up, and it was because Abbey Road, they owned the rights to the Beatles. It was some they they could use as much studio time as they want. So it's totally. like, go ahead, boys, make us more of a fortune. <laughs> uh, but they pressured them to get this out by Christmas, and uh, they had intended this to be the start of Sgt. Pepper, which that's going to get us to our next point. Um, and they. It, it's a double A side with Penny Lane. So this is released as a single, Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane. And the single before this was also a double A side with Eleanor Rigby and Yellow Submarine. So we're going from those being the singles. You know, prior to this, you have like Paperback Writer, Day Tripper. Then you go Yellow Sub, Eleanor Rigby. You got to be thinking, huh, those are weird choices for Beatles singles. And then they release Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, which they do, neither of them become number one hits. Which I think is interesting. It's like the first time that happens. Yeah, uh, it was a number eight in the U.S. and a number two in the U.K. because Engelberg Humperdinck's "Release Me" kept it out of the number one spot. So people started you. You started to hear whispers about the Beatles, which I love this about this song. You know, the Beatles are done. You know what I mean? They're they're not touring anymore. Right. John is filming a movie. George has quit. Paul's doing whatever Paul's doing. Ringo's Ringo. Uh, and then they release a flop in Strawberry Fields Forever in Penny Lane. And everybody's like, Psh, look, this is what they come up with. Uh, yeah, it is what they come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to lead us to, oh, uh, sorry, let me, I got to go to the Ro- Rolling Stone, of course. They're big. This is number 79 in their 500 greatest songs of all time. Okay. Which right. that's, I give it that. Uh, 100 greatest Beatles songs. Where do you think it sits? You have a guess? Oh, I I mean, for me, it's pretty high. Yeah, it's also high for them. Number three yeah, on their list, which that's, that's pretty solid. Um, so our big question, uh, part seven here of our, of our little podcast. The, these songs were supposed to be on Sgt. Pepper. These are the first songs of Sgt. Pepper. Yeah, right. George Martin calls it his gr- one of his biggest mistakes. You gotta. How can you not agree? First of all, it's not on Past Masters, right? They don't release it as singles on Past Masters, and you end up getting it on Magical Mystery Tour, which is like, I mean, for true Beatles fans, you're like that doesn't like because Kieran, my son's listening to, he's like, yeah, it's on Magical Mystery Tour. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, it's on the American Magical Mystery Tour, but it wasn't right. supposed to be on that record, you know. Penny Lane wasn't supposed to be on there, all you know. Let's put it on Pepper, but what are we taking off? Oh, good point. Good point. Because uh... because these two songs have got to be on Sgt. Pepper. They they've they have to be. Yeah. And I'm gonna throw the first one out, and it's not gonna be popular, okay? Because I know people love this song. I personally love this song, but you can't tell me that it's it's better than Penny Lane. I would end the first side with Penny Lane and take off. She's leaving home. I said it. Yeah. What do you got? I'll let you put Strawberry Fields on there somewhere. Uh, ooh, uh, I mean, I would... Uh, Remember, George has to have a song before I know, you say it. I know, I <laughs> know. Because that's where I went to, and I it's know. like, no, 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 George has to. And With You Without You is a good one. 
I'm, yeah, but I usually, <laughs> if I'm going to listen to that straight through, I'm usually skipping that track. I'll be um, honest. I, yeah, that's okay. That's also where I would go. So then you're, uh, let's see. I'm trying to get the full <laughs> I album mean, up here. I, I, think, I think George's so Indian influence album, is great, but. On our album, it would go Fixing a Hole, Penny Lane, uh, Benefit of Mr. Kite, Into Strawberry Fields Forever. Into when I'm 64. That would fit. That would totally fit. Sorry, George. You know what? You got one. You got a couple on Revolver. You could have, you know. He had three on Revolver. Right? Yeah. He did. He had, t- yeah. So. He hadn't yeah, quite come taking, into his own yet. He had not quite come into his own. All right. Uh, now it's time for our deep dive. Little things that we have found out or things that we know. Uh, this is brought to you also by our sponsor, Roast and Hill of Beans. Their other flavor made just for us, also available online at shop.ahillofbeans.com and at my website, billymcguigan.com, is the Magical Mystery Tour, which was my personal favorite. That one was real nice. It says, if you're looking for a coffee to take you away, this is the one. The real coffee behind the name is a Hill of Beans annual varietal holiday blend, A Cup of Magic. And much like yesterday and today, this is the 15th year, and each year is magically different. Uh, It's a smooth, versatile, delightful, magical mystery tour. We're waiting to take you away. Limited edition roast for November and December uh, 21. Hey, we have sponsors now. This is so cool. I can't wait to try it. So I I just did the strawberry strawberry fields, fields. and I'm going to... Grind up some uh, a cup of magic after we're done. <laughs> Grind up some magical mystery tour. <laughs> there is a uh, there is so much stuff about this song out yeah. there, uh, and the anthology. They spend a ton of time talking about it. Um, they break it down really well on the anthology, and probably my favorite version, and for people to listen to for sure, is the love version of this song. Mm, yeah, which is probably my favorite version. Uh, it starts with the demo. It goes into take seven, and then it goes into the other one, and then it brings them all together. And at the end, they make they put "Hello Goodbye" in there with like the piggies and the "In My Life" solo. It is so great. Definitely listen to that one. It's also my favorite part of the show because they're all around like a piano, like they are in the video, and they're blowing like bubbles in the air. Oh it's, yeah, oh, nice. God, I love that part. Anyway, what'd you find on your deep dive? You know, I was. Uh... Uh, we talk a lot about the book Revolution in the Head, and so I, I was uh, I was reading that, and it it, uh, it pointed me toward, you know, their last true concert was August 29th of '66. So what's that? Three months before? Yeah, three months before they started recording this. Their set list. This is after, and this is after Revolver had come out. Their set list for their last show in San Francisco was rock and roll music, a Chuck Berry cover. She's a woman. Great opener. If I needed someone, day tripper, babies in black, I feel fine. Yesterday, I want to be your man, nowhere man, paperback writer, long tall Sally. I mean... Nothing from Revolver. Nothing from Revolver. Yeah. I mean, think of how frustrating that had to be to have a new record out and you're playing what's the newest song they're playing there? Nowhere Man is the newest track on there. Nowhere Man. And that's Day from Tripper. that's from uh Yeah, from Rubber Soul. So Day Tripper would have been and I Feel Fine are probably the, the most recent songs they're playing on that. Yeah. Man. They had to feel stuck. They yeah. Had, I mean it, it, yeah, wow. 
And also, look at what the time off did for them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They went from that to this, which is... Unre- All right, so here's... What freaking key is this song in? <laughs> right? I mean, it's like, what... what? So, they don't even so know. Think- it's like, well, and maybe that makes it so... Excuse me. So fucking cool is that what key is it in? Uh, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's in, in between, between A and and A sharp or B flat, like the first section, and then it gets a little closer to to. Doesn't that you know, make it kind of cool? It is cool. It's not really. It's not in a key. Really, it's like they the effect they put in it. Put it in a in a not in a key. Right. That may, that's kind of cool. Oh, there, there's a great quote. Um, from a hard day's night when George is scoring the 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 movie orchestral part, you know, and and mm-hmm. John has sang some like a note that's not quite a sixth and not quite a seventh, and and he says to George, "Good luck scoring that," you know, and it's like <laughs> it's so cool, you know. <laughs> but so yeah, great. I mean, they're 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 constantly wanting to not sound the same, and so they're like. You know, during Revolver, they had discovered how to slow tape down and speed tape yeah. up. And, you know, they'd been doing this for a while. But, but you know, so it gives it this otherworldly quality that that uh, really lends itself nicely to the song. Yeah, it's like John's uh, inability to explain what was going on in his head just made it that much cooler, you yeah. know? Yeah. What a great song. Uh, Strawberry Field... Strawberry Field is actually a place, and it is not right. Strawberry Fields. It is Strawberry Field is the name of a, it was a girls' orphanage in Liverpool, right behind uh, John's Aunt Mimi's house where he grew up. So yeah. he could like pop over the fence, and there was a tree that he loved to play under and be in the flowers. Um, you can go visit this place in Liverpool. It is was probably my favorite place to visit uh, on the trip. Nice. Just because you you see it and it's like, oh, yeah. And they're trying to renovate it. It's been renovated over the years. But do go see it. That was my personal deep dive there. Very cool. Uh, This this song made Brian Wilson abandon the Smile Project. He was working on his follow-up to Pet Sounds, which is Smile, which has amazing songs on it. It was going to be like Americana. That was his idea. And the Beatles come in with Liverpool and break his brain. Yeah. It also broke the brain of Phil Spector. Uh, he, after hearing this song, decided to take a four-year break from recording. And then he would come back and ruin a couple Beatles albums. Uh, well, a Beatles album and a couple solo Beatles albums. Which I said that on Twitter and a guy unfollowed me because I said that Phil Spector had ruined the Let It Be. And it's like, how can you listen to what him not produced on it. Have you listened to it yet? The new Let It Be they've done. They essentially oh, yeah. just wipe Phil Spector off of there, and it's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah. I just yeah, that's good. It's good to have that off. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so as nature intended, great, somebody said. As nature intended, <laughs> this sound, uh, the sound of the psychedelic, the mellotron, the talking at the end, uh, which we'll get to. I don't want to miss that part. Uh, oh, yeah. influence Pink Floyd. This is Pink Floyd basically started after this song. This song is also a huge influence on ELO. The sound of cellos on rock music was yeah. not a thing until before this song. So if you're a fan of those groups, you owe it to this song. Uh, let's see. In Central Park, there are strawberry fields, which you can go visit. Oh, it's yeah. A med- meditative place named after this song. 
uh, which John also considered his favorite song and wanted to redo it. Um, there's a great promo video you can see of, uh, of this song. And there are also a ton of Paula's dead stuff that happens. This song was probably real famous for that when you and I were growing up. You would always hear the, oh man, you know Paula's dead. It would be one of the things you'd list like, well, okay, on Abbey Road, it was like 28F. Right, right, yeah. And then you'd be like, on Strawberry Fields, forever. So on one of these demos, it's I think it's the Take 7 one, you can hear John clearly saying, Cranberry sauce. Totally. Yeah. And then it like gets more British the second time. Cranberry <laughs> sauce. And when they slowed it down or sped it up or whatever they did, yeah. it came out I buried Paul. <laughs> but it is not that I, I don't know how to tell you this. Paul, Paul McCartney is still alive, you yeah, guys. Yeah, still kicking. He's still out there. And he, now we know his favorite sandwich if you follow him on any social media. So that was my deep dive. Did you get anything out of that? That's anything interesting to that, you, to? that you bring up the Paul is dead thing. I remember in junior high, which, you know, would have been around 1980 <laughs> for me, mm-hmm. that like there was, we we had a, like we would get like a thing called the Weekly Reader Oh, yeah. I'm sure the it weekly is. Reader. The weekly reader, yeah. There oh, was an yeah. article about about Paul is dead. And 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 you know, I was a huge Beatle fan at that point, you know. So like, yeah, I went home and I was I was listening to the White Album and and spinning the spinning my turntable backwards to get the, you know, <laughs> what, course, yeah. what was supposed to be said there. And then the 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 cranberry sauce, which, you know, it was right around Thanksgiving. I don't know if cranberry sauce out of a can <laughs> is as big of a thing in, in Britain as it is on my Thanksgiving table, but I love me some, uh, you know, process. I don't process. think they celebrate over there. <laughs> that is great. That is great. <laughs> Cranberries. <laughs> and I don't know how to tell you this. Paul isn't dead, and you go, well, did the Beatles, what the Beatles realized is that would make them sell more records if you believed it. So, of course they played into it. Like, I got to get this record to find out. Uh, <laughs> they are the greatest marketers of all time. Okay, let's talk about playing it live. I have some I have some stuff of us playing it live, but talk about it from, from your end. I know that guitar part is no joke. That little that little part that Paul plays, the little connector between the the outro, it, the boom. It's it's all, all weird. Business. Yeah. So I I uh, I have a little pitch shifter that I, I actually move my whole guitar down a full step to play like the proper part, and then uh, re- all in the, the last, little guitar-y stuff in there. All yeah, the- because after after the first. Af- there's no guitar in in the second version until that ending. Um, so so I'd been using a, a guitar synth patch and just playing the cello part. Um, I'm not sure yes. what I'm going to do now because I got tired of that guitar synth. Sweet. Um, yeah. So it's you know it's it's a funky little little finger picked part. I've never played it right. I've just approximated <laughs> it with, by because I hey I don't, neither. Neither did John. And George only had to play it only had to play it right one time. I have a couple of versions of us doing it. We we did it this is with 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 a keyboard player and me. So 
it's real slow. But you hear your guitar part in there, it's real nice. That, that is slow. I, 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 it is so dreadfully slow. But then we added some tricks to the trade, and, uh, and then we were clicked. So then we were playing at a proper tempo. And listen to the end of this. This is at the, this is a December run. Let me get, hang on, here it goes to get this part. From, <laughs> hang on, I. Yeah, all we're doing is hitting things at this point. <laughs> Which apparently is what they were doing, so that's pretty cool. And it, this is how you should end it. This is my brother Matthew with his famous... So yeah, it's not an easy one to play live. No, it when, sure whenever isn't. we put it in the set list, I definitely pucker up on that one. <laughs> it definitely makes me nervous because I have to play that Mellotron part, and I typically mess it up <laughs> nine and a half out of ten times. It's yeah, it's not an easy part yeah. either. But it is a great song. It's fun to which do. Which brings us to oh, so fun. It is now time to rate this puppy. You peel back all, all the many layers of Strawberry Fields because there's all <laughs> kinds of different versions for people to listen to out there. So do listen to it. It is what uh, When I listened to it this time on my walk yesterday, I listened to it and I thought, okay, what was he going for? Uh, John was going for his childhood. Like he's, yeah. When you listen to it and think about your own childhood, I mean, it makes this song way deeper and it hits you on a different level. Like I'm walking through my neighborhood weeping like, oh man, I didn't expect for it to hit me right. in yeah. that way. But that was what he was going for. And when you listen to it that way, boy, it really, whew, really popped it up the, my list. So as always, I defer to you, your glass onion rating, Jay, of Strawberry oh. Fields. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. I mean, this is this is almost a precursor to, you know, his first solo records where he was, you know, very introspective and and needing catharsis and you know so I mean this is this is uh, this is one of those songs for him you know and it's it's cool because we we start to see the real John Lennon you know yeah he's kind of been hiding behind this veneer you know of of a Beatle you know and and he's he's starting to peel things back and that's that's pretty amazing you know because I mean. What an artist! So you know, this is I. I'm uh, I'm pretty pretty rosy when it comes to rating these. This is this is certainly a. What are we doing? Do we do five or ten? I, I know we're on a ten point scale. Ten point. Yeah. We also this, we also do decimal points in there. This, this is a ten point zero for me. Yeah, I'm, it's that's also got to be a ten for me. Um, just artistically. This song is a masterpiece. Take take everything, take the lyrics away, take his vocal performance, just listen to it as a sound montage. I think it's better than any other time any of the Beatles try to do it. I think this is a way better version of Tomorrow Never Knows. Way more palatable. The there are chords in it. Uh, I some ways I like it better than A Day in a Life because it's 
it seems more attainable. It seems more like a a song that you could play, but it's in a weird key and you can't like you can't just pick up your guitar and go, oh, here's Strawberry Fields. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Right, right. Yeah. It's one of the few Beatles songs that doesn't work that way. Like, yeah. if somebody when we do our thing, it's like, hey, stump us, and they say Strawberry Fields. It's like, well, fine. I mean, I, let me take you. You can't do all the little. Dee, dee, you know what I mean? Uh, there's so many cool things about it. And it's a George Martin special. You know, yeah. I think we, you and I love those maybe the most where this isn't a Paul song. Like Paul's isn't all over it. Other right. than he did the most famous part of it, the Mellotron. I mean, he writes this perfectly tasteful intro. And in the demos, you hear them struggling to find the intro. What's the intro? And of course, Paul's like, it's just this, man. <laughs> and it's just the chords. It's yeah. just the chords. That's all he's doing, especially on that McCartney 321. It like unlocked the Beatle puzzle. It's like, oh, none of it is that hard. It's just, they're just moving, right? Moving their three fingers around. And that's <laughs> what he's doing. But it's, per- it's perfectly done, tastefully done. But then George Martin adds the string and horn thing. And the montage at the end with the backwards, I, I it's perfect. Yeah. It's as messed up as it is, and probably the most errors of any Beatles song, the most mistakes made releasing it, putting on albums it shouldn't have been on. It's probably the perfect Beatles song. Yeah. Certainly the perfect John song. I read somewhere uh, somebody said if if you were needing to describe the Beatles to an alien, this is the song you play. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, like it's either that or Hey Jude, right? I mean, I just, I think these songs, like Hey Jude encapsulates what Paul is trying to do with the Beatles to me. And for George, it's, it's who knows with George? Maybe it's Here Comes the Sun or I, who knows? And yeah, Ringo's yeah, just Ringo. And maybe for John, John has a bunch of songs that do that. But this one is like, I think there's a reason that where you go to pay your respect to John in New York is Strawberry Field. You know what I mean? Sure, I think there's, yeah. There's a reason for that. Um, give this one a listen. Listen to it from the perspective of you're looking back on your childhood. Think about the things that really touched you as a kid, which is what he was doing. This was a really unique and special place for him. And Paul is the only person that's ever done it as well with Penny Lane. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> and we'll, we'll leave it with that Wayne's World 2 quote. But that's a different story altogether, isn't it? Jay Hansen, once again, my friend, it has been an absolute pleasure. Right back at you. Zooming with you, talking about Beatles music, deep diving. I'm glad we have a sponsor now. Cheers. Oh, yeah. As I drink my cup of Magical Mystery Tour and you with your strawberry fields forever. Uh, our show yesterday and today, we're in a new venue this year. We're at the Slowdown here in Omaha. Slowdown is one of my personal favorite venues, and I'm finding a lot of people that come to my shows for some reason have never been to this venue in town. What? This is how our show is meant to sound and look. So come visit us at the Slowdown. You can go to my website, billymcguigan.com, and find out all that info. You can see what Jay looks like. I don't look like I do in the pictures anymore. I'm post-pandemic, Billy. (laughs) It's been a real pleasure. Friends, we've been looking through the glass onion. We're back. Keep listening. We'll be back. We already know what our next song is going to be. We're going to do our first cover in honor of our new home here in Omaha. Oh, yeah. Slow down. Our first Beatle cover. So you'll find out how this song came to be a Beatle song. Why John loved it, which I just found out today. So until next time, we've been looking through the glass onion.